So as Chris said, gates to the presence. So last time uh, Chris was talking about the blood of Christ and he talked through the the chapters in Hebrews um, about how the tabernacle was created and how we can enter into that eternal presence of God. And that's, again, where we're going to pick up today, the eternal presence of God. Well, is there anyone around here who can explain God? Is there anyone um, smart enough to tell God what to do? Is there anyone who's done God a really huge favor recently? So God's going to come and ask your advice? You see, everything comes from God. Everything has been made through God. You see, everything is made complete in him. It's always for him. When we're living for God, with God, in God, along with God, that's the holy life. That's holy living. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, you may recognize this translation, in view of God's mercy coming to us, to be among us, I urge you to offer yourselves, your whole selves, your body, everything about you to be a living sacrifice with God, alongside God and for God, pleasing him. This is your true and proper, your reasonable your logikos, your logical act of proper worship. Ever find yourself caught up in those worldly ways of thinking? Ever find yourself patterning something that your parents said to you when you were little that wasn't quite true? Ever think of yourself as different from the world and yet pretty similar, really? We're called to be transformed, to be changed by that Holy Spirit who's come to be in us and with us by the renewing of our minds. Why? Because then we will know God's will, his good perfect and pleasing will. It's all in response to his mercy. So I was going to speak on Ephesians chapter 2, and I told Chris I was going to do that, but actually I felt that Romans 12, which I've just quoted to you in various translations, all the way through from chapter 11.32 through to 12.2, if you want to look it up, The reason is that in view of God's mercy, our response to God's mercy is absolutely key. Why? Because that's the only way that heaven will be on earth. As we together respond to his mercy, 
other people begin to see it. They ask, will you pray for me? They ask, how do you have that kind of hope? They ask, how can I know what you know? It's all because of God's mercy. Hands up if you're proud. To what extent have I received God's mercy? To what extent have you personally received God's mercy? I suggest it's to the extent that I have need of it. You've received God's mercy as much as you've felt you've needed it. Do you remember Jesus told a parable about the um, Pharisee and the tax collector in, uh, I think it's Luke 18. And he says, the Pharisee stood before God and rambled out something about, you know, God, thank you so much that I'm not like those guys over there who just don't know you and I'm just so much better off. Thank you, God. Blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, the tax collector had nothing more to say than beat his chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But surely we're not sinners. We know the Lord. Surely we're no, no longer sinners. We're saints, right? That's what we're taught. That's what Paul says, isn't it? We're saints. But we still sin. We're saints because we've been brought into that mercy of God, that relationship with the Father. So Ephesians 2 says this, verses 1 to 6. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin, and yet you let the world, which doesn't actually know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. And we all did it, all of us, doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us were in the same boat. Well, it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Well, so, do we still need God's mercy, I'm asking? We're no longer living like this, are we? We're good Christian people. We're lovely middle-class, well-to-dos. We don't live like that anymore. Surely we don't need God's mercy anymore. Remember Matthew 18. You might want to take that off because I'm going to come back to it. Remember Matthew 18, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Remember where he had all that debt cancelled where the boss had mercy on him and said, I, can't, I can see you can't pay your debt. I'm going to cancel it. The whole lot, I'll cancel it for you. And the servant thought to himself, jolly good. 
how I'm on my way. And he's the first person he came to who owed him a little bit of money. Grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and said, you're going to pay me now or I'll double it. Do you remember that? And what happened to him? He got thrown out and killed, basically. That's the story. Because that was the law in the Jewish community. When you did wrong, you were killed. Simple as that. What does it mean for us to be unmerciful? Well, I think most of us would say we've experienced God's mercy and we are happy to offer mercy. That's love, compassion, kindness to other people. I think we're quite good at it. But what does it mean to offer it to people who don't already know what that is? How can we be part of that? Last week I was talking about, um, at my church, the theme was, strangely enough, was the Beat we're doing the Beatitudes at the moment, and the theme last week was, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's the joyful thing about being blessed, is that we have a strange, deep contentment and joy from receiving from God those things that we long for in our souls. And in this case, it's kindness and compassion. That's the, another translation of mercy, kindness and compassion. And we receive that from God so that we can offer it to other people, and then it comes back to us. It's the beautiful thing about the Beatitudes that it shows us how to live. There are other things that show us what to do or what to believe, but the Beatitudes show us how to live. We need to learn to live with kindness and compassion in an intentional way. I'm not telling you what to do, really. I'm telling myself. Learning how to be kind and compassionate to people whose lives are such a mess. How often do I judge in my mind before I recognize God is loving that person? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm walking along the street and I see somebody do something and I immediately think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I catch myself doing it every now and then, but actually I think I probably do it all the time. I'm just not aware of it. It's like it's insipid. It's kind of insipid. It's just part of the culture that we're in to kind of pass judgment on others. Find a little internal talk going on about what that person is like or what I think they might be thinking. That's passing judgment on others. That's what Jesus said not to do. 
because the rest of Ephesians 2, that passage, says instead, immense in mercy, God, with an incredible love, embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did it all on his own. He didn't even have any help from us. I just love that. Like he ever needed our help. God never needs our help. He loves us joining in with what he's doing. He never needs our help. God is never in need of us. He loves us. And then God picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. That's the presence of God. This is the past tense written here by Paul to the Ephesians. It's not pie in the sky when we die. It's now. We have been lifted up now into the presence of God. He's alongside us now in the heaven on earth. The kingdom has come in part now. We're not yet in the fullness of the kingdom, but the kingdom has come now. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God is here, he meant it. That's 2,000 years ticked by and most of us have missed that and thought, oh, maybe it's all when we die still. Maybe if I'm good enough, I'll get there. No, we'll never be good enough. The mercy of God shows us that. The generosity of God in coming to us in Jesus Christ and bringing his Holy Spirit through the curtain, which was ripped in the temple. Through the curtain, right to us. I love the fact that our God lives in us. But I don't understand it. I can't understand it. But that's okay. I love the fact that Jesus died for my sins. But I can't really understand it. But that's okay. I can still believe it. And I can still live it. By sharing God's mercy. In Psalm 139, at the end of that psalm where, um, if you don't know Psalm 139, it's the one where um, he says, uh, God, you know me when I'm lying down. You know me when I'm standing up. You know every hair on my head. You know everything about me. How amazing you are for creating what you've created. And then he says, just get rid of the enemies, would you? And then he says, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart, Lord. See if there's anything in my heart, God, that's offensive to you. And make me 
more like you. And as we come into our worship time tonight, that's where we are going to begin. That's where we're going to... I'm going to invite Johnny to come up this end. That's where we're going to start by inviting God to search our hearts. Because, remember what I said earlier? To what extent have you received God's mercy? To the extent that you have felt the need of God's mercy. And I can only do that if the Holy Spirit shows me my need for God's mercy. Search my heart, Lord, and show me my need of you. And out of that, I enter that presence of God, that being in the heavenly place with Christ. I start to notice it. I start to realize that presence of God. He is here. He is with us. He is here. He is in us. I know that you guys have come here tonight because you love Jesus, because you want to worship him, or because you want to know him more. I know that's why you're here. You wouldn't have come otherwise. And that's where we need to begin. Just wanting that realization of his presence because that will help us then to take that to others and to seek out the people among our communities, our workplaces, our neighborhoods who don't know God's mercy. They don't even perceive what mercy is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness and compassion towards us. We thank you as individuals in this room right now, but we also thank you as the people of God together. Because together we will represent Christ in this world. Together people will notice us being like Christ. I can't do it on my own, Lord, because there's just a Vicky kind of shape about it. But together we can reveal Christ. So we pray, Lord, tonight that you'd bring us into that realization of your mercy and your presence in us, with us, around us. We have a saying in our church at the moment, which is we come with empty hands so that we can receive. But in order to do that, we have to... Um, let go of the stuff that we're holding we have to put it down um, and sometimes what we do is we make a fist with our hands in front of us 
and we imagine all the stuff that agitates us and gets us angry or dissatisfied. Maybe it's our pain, maybe it's our rubbish, maybe it's other people's stuff. And we clench our fists and we acknowledge those things before Father. And then we um, release those things to the floor by opening the palms of our hands facing downwards and flattening our hands out. We release those things onto the ground, like they're going into the ground, but also Jesus receives those things into himself upon the cross. We let go of those things. And then we turn our palms upwards in an attitude of receiving. And we say, Father, thank you. I receive from you now. And we wait. In the presence of God, we wait. Perhaps tonight there's going to be very something very specific for you. Or perhaps it's just the joy of worship. But I just want to say, let's not rush away from receiving from God so that we can then declare his goodness and his peace and his love and his mercy out loud here and then wherever we end up tomorrow morning. Lord, we receive from you. Amen.